0: Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the money talks a little experiment we started on June 4th of last year is now 38 episodes in and we today and have a very interesting character somebody that has you know uh, been at the been working with one of the top tech companies in the world has worked in a home uh, home dining uh, startup of his own and now is working for one of the largest food companies in the world, and he's—I mean—he's seen it, done it, and every everywhere in between. So, without further ado, I welcome Munaf Patel. Sorry, Munaf <laughs> <laughs> Kapadia. My my bad, why, why I just <laughs> was <so> tricky, maybe. <laughs> Patel, you'll be surprised.
1: Kap- you'll be surprised the number of times that happens. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I I think th- just letting you know that this slip of tongue will will pretty much tell you a lot about the conversation that's about to happen. So, Munaf, welcome, welcome to the show
1: thank you so much uh, Adi. it's it's really exciting to
0: be here i'm super excited to have you on board and you know I, as we discussed pre episode there is so much to discuss so much to to go over Munaf, that uh, i'm going to take maybe a minute give you a minute to introduce yourself and then we'll get into your journey so please go ahead and you know let the audience know i know everybody knows who T- what TBK is but i think the man behind
1: TBK needs to be introduced thanks so uh, guys i'm monaf kapadia I like to call myself the self-designated chief eating officer at the Bori Kitchen. Uh, Like Adi said, I have uh, worn many hats. Uh, I like to think of myself as a salesman. Uh, So my career started with me selling chewing gum for Wrigley's. uh, And then eventually I joined Google and I started selling advertising. Uh, And then I started the Bori Kitchen and I started selling samosas. And now I am at McDonald's selling burgers. Uh, so at some point or other, I'm always selling something, um, and then that's kind of my journey.
0: So and Munav, it all started out. You you are a Bombay boy. I think you started out at Cathedral. Uh, you you've lived in Kulaba your entire life, from what I
1: understand. No, so I actually oh. uh, 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 we shifted to Kulaba some 15 years back. Uh, prior to okay. that, we lived in Baikala. Uh, okay. And I, I still remember those uh, trips. So I used to go to school by bus, uh, by public bus, and I used to be incredibly embarrassed to go to my hoity-toity uh, school where everyone's coming in their fancy vehicles. Um, so I would get off at this faraway bus stop so I could walk to school and no one would notice I'm coming by uh, bus. <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's taken me quite some time to get over that insecurity and today deal with and then realize that there are much larger things to actually think about
0: you know it's interesting i, I took a school bus too i went to cathedral just like you and yeah we uh, I, had, I had i had the school bus though which used to come because, mm-hmm. because of, uh, and after that you went to hr then uh narsi manji uh you know you did mba in marketing and then you picked up a job i mean at google I mean, at 2001. Getting a job at Google in India would, like, you know, that was the dream for anybody uh, at the time coming out of college. How did you land the job?
1: So, so this is um, it was 2011. All right, 2011. Yeah. That's when I passed out, and uh, I actually did not get a job at Google. I got a job at Wrigley's right after my MBA. That was the first job I got, and uh, it was a phenomenal job they gave i was one of four management trainees um, and they put us literally like in, in an amazing race kind of setup where they sent all of us to each corner of the country and um, we were on a three month stint uh, where i was uh, placed with this amazing regional sales manager called linga raju uh, who's also got a mention in the book uh, and me and Lingaraju raju on his bike would go all around rural mysore uh, trying to convince various uh you know retailers to buy chewing gum and we would incentivize them with free buckets uh, that was okay. basically my two months in Mysore. and somewhere along that uh, sort of stint uh despite being like it, it was phenomenal money for a fresher um uh, uh and i mean this is my first job in life and it's already on the field and it's for such a you know it's, it's like an mnc and, and the money is great uh but for some reason i couldn't keep myself motivated uh, it, it was really awkward. There's something about selling to gum which just did not do it for me. And around okay. that time, Google also came on campus. So Google came really late to campus okay. and, um, uh, and I applied for that as well. Even though I had a job and I got that also. Um, and the only difference was Google gave me a 40% pay cut. Uh, and I had to make a PowerPoint presentation to my father to convince him that I wasn't destroying my career before it had even begun. Um, wow. Uh, and that's it. And that's 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 how I started my stint at Google.
0: So, you know, being in the field uh, at Wrigley's, you know, and my first job also was in door-to-door sales or, or, yeah. or you know, yeah. being out in the field. Uh, how important was that experience when you think about now 10 years later? Right? How important was that six month experience? Because you mentioned that in the book, but you
1: know. So, um, I think it's it's phenomenally important, right? Like when, when I was in that MBA classroom for those two years, we would fantasize about what happens after MBA, especially those of us who are freshers, um, mm-hmm. and 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 we would come up with these various fantasies. And FMCG management trainee was one of the biggest sort of goals that anyone had um uh, getting an mnc fmcg uh in a management trainee role it's 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 literally one of the top you know sort of goals that you have post mba and um, and 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 i'm just really happy i did it because once i did it i realized it's not for me so i, I enjoy sales uh, uh which is very evident from my career trajectory but uh the product that i'm selling uh needs to mean something to me uh, and also the distribution channel to which I'm selling it means, again, needs to mean something to me. And, and in my case, it turns out I like selling things online. I see. And not offline. Um, and and that, that discovery was only possible because of Riklis.
0: So what, and then your role at, at Google, you were an account strategist, right? Uh, what does that mean? What, what were you doing for Google? So so
1: when, when I got the job at Google in Hyderabad, um, mm-hmm. uh, Hyderabad sort of, a, it's an advanced KPO where okay. you have these incredibly intelligent uh, individuals, except for me, uh, who've been hired by Google uh, to support the Google client-facing teams in America and in, in, in the UK. Uh, so we were these inc- we were product experts who would support account managers or the actual guys who would talk to clients uh, in America and the UK. So we would support Googlers. Uh, And that's how it became uh, fairly decent when it came to online advertising uh, via Google products. Um, And somehow, uh, through some, actually that itself is a great story, in those nine months, I managed to find a way to convince the management to give me a break. And they made an exception and they sent me to Bombay. So they said, okay, Okay. uh, uh, do a rotation. So Google has this phenomenal concept called rotation. So it's like an internship within the organization. Uh, so very early on in my career, they allowed me to do a rotation in the Bombay office, which is a client-facing office. So the Bombay okay. sales team works with actual clients in the Indian large customers of Google, and I could do a, so. I did a three-month rotation with that team, and I managed to impress the team enough that uh, they lobbied for me to get a full-time role in the Bombay office. And that's how my real career started in in Google, which was the three years I spent in the Bombay office
0: you take, you take a 40% pay cut you join a company like google right and and like you said you had to make a presentation very early like 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 most people of your age were making presentations to vcs you were making one to your father uh, but but what, what were you trying to get out of that experience was there something that said you know what the, i'm willing to take a 40% pay cut for google would you do the same thing if it was microsoft if it was some or someone else
1: so um... So, I had this infatuation in my head, right? That Google is this company that um, where ideas are sort of propagated. And mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I just, till date, I'm in love with their concept of moonshots. Okay, it's something Larry and Sergey started, where um, the idea was that, hey, it could be a 1% or 5% chance that this thing would succeed. But if it does, it will have a 10x impact. So, it'll be a moonshot. Yeah um all of that just completely appealed to my personality uh and i I was like i'm gonna go to this company i'll do whatever the job is but ultimately i'm gonna give them such phenomenal ideas that you know uh it will literally finally give me an opportunity to uh push my creative boundaries to their limit i mean when i was at Wrigley's for crying out loud um uh, they wanted me to be a area sales manager so my job was to sell chewing gum But after three months or after two months, I made a presentation on how they should be using Facebook to create an internet uh, where uh, they should be motivating their regional sales managers by allowing them to, you know, share comments. And I mean, so so clearly I I had a certain way or I have a certain way of thinking. And I felt Google was the right place for that because of everything I read about it. And my first uh, three months at Google were a massive wake-up call. uh, Okay. How so? So imagine, I've gone into this company, I've taken a 40% pay cut, suddenly from being one of four people at Wrigley's, I'm one of 400 people uh, in the same position at Google India. Um, and uh, But still, I'm still motivated. Uh, I, I So in the first two months when they were training us, first month when they were training us, uh, I would be the guy who would raise his hand all the time. And I immediately had a reputation as being the super enthusiastic cutlet. Who will do really well in this company because clearly he's motivated. He has something to prove. Um, and why, why cutlet, with, by the way? Why not? They, they know your
0: mother. Your, huh? okay. Like they know your mother is a good cook.
1: <laughs> it, it's it's actually possible. Maybe it's 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 uh, it's inside <laughs> my head because of the Russian cutlets that we said. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so so everyone thought I was that guy, and I thought I was that guy uh, to the extent that I would work. So I I'm in the. Chillest office in the world, all right. With with a gym, with a lunch service, with a cab service, with it's like a college campus in Hyderabad, and I'm I'm working till two a.m. There's no one in office. Like I'm alone till two a.m. and I'm working in office. I was that guy because I wanted to prove something. I was sending ideas to Larry Page and Sergey Brin, and obviously no one was responding. I was telling them that hey guys, you need to have an alarm on Google Maps, so when you reach your destination, your phone should ring. You know. For some, in my head, these were like all shattering ideas. And I was the guy who had to tell them about these ideas. My first appraisal in Google after three months, my first three months, was, Munaf, if you don't get your act straight, we are going to have to let you go. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah. So I am the guy who everyone thinks is killing it. I am the guy who's working his ass off compared to other people. Um, and I am the only one in my batch who was told that, Munaf, you done phenomenally badly the excel sheets that we actually hired you to make you're not making them well uh, and while we appreciate your enthusiasm and so on and so forth you first need to do your core job and once you get sure. that out of the way please do all of these other things we we love that about you but first get your excel sheets right uh so that was my first sort of corporate lesson and uh, the good thing i did is i learned it fast so within six months from that lesson i i gamed the system i cracked it i understood what i had to do I understood what was expected from me. I overachieved to the extent that the organization then gave me an opportunity to further a move. And when I finally went to Bombay and one and a half year of actually selling directly to clients, um, I reached the stage in my career where it would barely take me half my work time to do my job that I was hired to do. So I started officially doing other projects in the company. Uh, so okay. after two years of slogging, I had earned a place within Google where they would bless my efforts to create other projects. So I created something called Idea Factory, where we would aggregate ideas from Googlers. I created something called NGO Consultants, where we would uh, voluntary google uh, vol- Google volunteers, would help NGOs with their online advertising, uh, and 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 that's kind of how my creativity kept on just it, it had an opportunity to grow
0: four years into google you're doing well things are going you know on the right track you've got a job that most people would give an arm and a leg for and then you decided that you know what i, I think my journey at google is interesting but i'm going to do something even more interesting which is 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 uh, i'm going to i'm going to promote my mother's cooking right Uh, What was that? What was that moment? Why? uh, Why the sudden and massive shift?
1: So, uh, uh, first of all, I never even dreamt of quitting Google. That was never the intention. Uh, Very few people realize this. Uh, I, I wasn't that. So, you know, typically whenever I give talks in these colleges and so on and so forth, the audience will react in either of two ways. Okay. One part of the audience will be like, wow, enough, you know, you're a hero. You, you did this mm. courageous thing to empower your mother and take her food and put it on the world map and you quit your dream job for it. And the second part of the audience will be like, wow, this guy's incredibly stupid uh, to pursue <laughs> something he knows nothing about and, and give up a career in Google. He, he clearly took it for granted. Uh, the, the reality is it's neither of the two. Okay, mm. what simply happened is one fine day, my super boss, uh, Vikas Agnihotri, who uh, has, is, is one of our biggest uh, endorsers of the book, um, he one day called me in one of the meeting rooms and he said, Munaf, sit down and what's up, you know, what's happening in life? What are you planning on doing? What, what are your career goals? And I, and I told him, because, like you already know, uh, I'm now like, I feel that I've exhausted my time in Bombay, Google Bombay. Now I want to go abroad and I want to see what else is out there in the Google universe. I don't want to leave Google at all. I love the company, but I need something else to do. And, and, and that was my career plan. Uh, and, and then Vikas surprised me by asking me, but what about the Bori Kitchen? And I was like, wait, what? You've heard of it? He's like, yeah, I, I randomly read an article about TBK and the Jet Wings magazine, you know, when Jet Airways was yep. around. Um, and I was like, okay, wow, all right. And, and then he said that, oh, but Munaf, aren't you worried that if you go abroad, you know, TBK will have to wrap up? And, and I'm like, yeah, so big deal. Like, it's just a fun thing I'm doing with my parents. And, and he said that, but you do realize what you've created, right? It's not easy to get the press coverage that you've got and to create the curiosity that you've created. And and then he gave me this really cool um, uh, philosophy that I apply till date and I literally narrate it to everyone and anyone who will listen to me. Um, he taught me about the five-year lens. All right. So he said that Munaf, you can either look at life from a one-year lens or a five-year lens. Okay. A one-year okay. lens means that you quit Google today and, um, uh, one year later, uh, you you know you come back. Uh, you you decide that the bori kitchen has not worked. It's a complete failure. One year later, you you get a job again. Either you get a job at Google or you get a job at Facebook or wherever else. In a five year time frame, you would have forgotten that you actually gave up one year of your life because that's how things average out. Especially if you're a hardworking guy, because you you pace up. It automatically averages out, and you you get back to. Uh, the career graph that you were supposed to be, the one-year gap does nothing to your life. But now imagine that one year later, you don't come back. You stay at the Bori Kitchen. Two years later, you stay. Mm -hmm. Three years, four years, five years, you manage to stay at TBK. What that will do for your life in terms of experience, in terms of confidence, in terms of opportunities, um, will be priceless. And uh, if and when you decide to come back into the career sort of into the corporate world after that, you will come back with a very different uh, sort of bent of mind than you have today. And and that just Makes made sense. too much sense to me. Yeah, And also it helped that the calculated risk I was taking, I could take it because I did not have any significant financial liabilities at that stage in my life. So everything clicked. The only box left is do I have the courage to do it? Uh, do I have the courage to face my parents? You know, do I have the courage to face myself? and actually take this radical decision, which everyone will stare at me, you know, when I take it. Um, and, and, and I just did it. I, I, I kind of ripped the bandaid.
0: So tell us a little bit about ripping that bandaid, because that's exactly what the, the concept of the show is, right? To get a little bit deeper into it. Now, you know, you've got this and, and amazing advice, by the way. I mean, I would love to meet uh, your boss one, of the, one day, because I think that was uh, significant advice. The five-year lens makes a lot of sense uh and and you know obviously the, the experience you did have and interestingly it was five years right before before you took up exactly honor, but, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's it's serendipitous right in, in a way but uh you decide to leave and you now want to go work on this you know fledging but but growing brand uh which is tbk and and so tell, tell us tell us a little bit about what is tbk how did it start you know uh and and because I know that I know the story. I know the story when you go to have the have a meal at home. But it's going to be a while before somebody else can come and listen to it. But what's the story that 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 uh,
1: behind starting
0: this uh, starting the brand?
1: So again, not not too many people know this, but um, the first so so the Bori Kitchen started simply because I had a fight with my mom. All right, one fine day I was sitting at home watching TV. She came in, she changed the channel. It led to an argument and and ultimately it led to an idea which both of us liked, which is. How can we work together to, to create something which she will enjoy doing, uh, and mm-hmm. which will basically give me more time with the TV? And, uh, <laughs> and, and, we, yeah, and, and we decided that uh, she's a phenomenal cook. And we, we have access to a cuisine, which not many other people have access to. And I can experiment with my social media prowess, which was zero at that point in time. Uh, and then let's see where that takes us. And it was a fun idea: call five people home on a Saturday, Sunday, see if they're willing to pay five hundred rupees, and just see how it goes. Uh, lie to my father for a month, uh, uh, and just do it. Uh, and um, lie to your how father, home,
0: not telling him why people are coming home.
1: So, so when <laughs> we first uh, just uh, bounced the idea across my dad, he said no. He said, "What's wrong with you? You call how many other people you want; I don't mind, but don't charge them money to eat food at your house." Hmm. Uh, uh, which did not work for me, not because that money meant anything, but uh, more than the income. What it meant is someone's willing to pay, you know, and, and that was <laughs> critical to the prop, like the the idea itself. That we wanted someone to value a mother's cooking, and an experience at the bori kitchen. That was p- half of the idea. Uh, so I had to lie to my dad for the first month when e- anyone came home. Uh, I told him these are my friends. Um, and 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 it just worked out somehow. Uh. So that was great. And that's how it started. And and then I just kept on having fun with it. Sad, so I, I had no social life at, at that time. So my Saturdays Sundays were completely invested in this. Um, I would experiment with different communication, with different copies. I would spam people shamelessly. I would call up random people. And before you knew it, my sense of humor and the way I was projecting the Bori Kitchen as a brand, it went viral. Uh, we really managed to find a beautiful way to amplify word of mouth through social media and and my mother's cooking and my father's role in, in you know facilitating that cooking it all just came together into this magical thing which is our home dining experience And that's how it went viral and then four months, five months of crazy visibility initially uh, and that's around the time in August uh, 2015 that I took this plunge to quit. Now, what too many people don't know. Is the idea I actually wanted to scale up was not the Bori Kitchen, it was something called the Dining Table. So I had okay. this thing that hey, okay, cool. So TBK is happening at home, but what if we do 100 such TBKs? All right. So what if we identify another hundred families across hundred cuisines and communities, and you create the Airbnb of home dining experiences? Uh, so actually, remember this idea. Yeah. yeah. It was a tech idea and, uh, and, and, and 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 that came more naturally to me than selling samosas. Uh, uh, so I, I made a deck on it, I, I literally, uh, I did some competitor research, uh, I studied the industry, I looked at other people who raised funds, uh, there were some interesting Indian startups who attempted this but failed. I found a Chinese startup that was thriving and I hired a Chinese translator, a Mandarin translator to convert that entire app into English for me, so I could understand it and replicate it. And I put in some of my own money and I actually made a UI, UX framework. And I was actually starting development uh, for that. And then one fine day, and, and, and I also created a community of home chefs called Home Chef Revolution. So I already had 25 of the best home chefs in the city who saw me as a beacon of empowerment. And I was trying to enable them into a home dining experience. Uh, Bihari food, Pathare Prahu food, you know, fantastic, Assamese food, Bengali mm. food, so on and so forth. Uh, and then one fine day, it occurred to me that, shouldn't I do a dipstick? Shouldn't I find out whether people will actually use this app? Uh, because okay. I was so caught up in the popularity of the Bori Kitchen. I'm like, this will work. And I called up 50 people and 45 said no. Uh, wow. And I asked them, why? like, all, And all of these 50 people were customers of TBK. So, I asked them that, guys, you, you're willing to come to my house, but why not someone else's? And they, sh- they said that Munaf, it's incredibly awkward to go to somebody's house to eat food and pay money for it. Okay, we, mm. we come to the Bori Kitchen because you have phenomenal credibility. Your brand equity. You know, my friends are talking about you. It's it's, it's exotic. It's, it's it's And it's not accessible. So, you know, all of that creates a, a lot of... Vibe. So, if you randomly put another 24 home chefs who don't have all of that brand equity, we won't do it. In fact... It's, it's incredibly difficult to convince me to come to another part of the city uh, to go to some auntie's house and then possibly not like the food and pay a premium for it. Uh, so the idea was definitely nowhere close to being, you know, where it needed to be for its time. Uh, and I wrapped it up. And around that time, TBK was exploding. And it, 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 it clearly had a phenomenal future ahead. And I said that, hey, let's do what's right under my nose. And I put more energy and effort out there. And eventually that led me to this journey that I've been on?
0: Uh, you were doing well, right? I, I, I mean, as a business, it, this was definitely flourishing. You had a lot of PR. You did not really have to spend money in, you know, people knew what the Bori Kitchen was. It wasn't like you were trying to get on billboards and trying to explain what the Bori Kitchen did. And yet you decided, you know, later on, I think about, uh, you know, uh, uh, in 2016 or was it 2017, to raise some capital from from venture capitalists who are all after growth. Right and and may not really care much about profit, uh, Mm. leaving out probably yours truly. But uh, what was the reason for that? Like you, you did you uh, did you? What was what was the thought behind raising outside capital, bringing other people
1: into this uh, already amazing show? So around 2016. So uh, this is the the chronology. Uh, 2015, August 2015, I quit my job. Okay, end of 2015, I finally decide uh, that the only way to scale the Bori kitchen is through delivery. And delivery was all the rage at that time. And it still is. Uh, so I set up my first dark kitchen. Uh, and I struggle. So even though I go into 2016 thinking I've got this under control. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so famous. Everyone wants to order from us. How difficult can it be to standardize my mom's food? That I just need to hire some people, put them in the kitchen. My mother will train them. And Voila, suddenly, magically, this food will come out in delivery. And you've got Swiggy and Zomato that are delivering the food anyways for you. But 2016 was a hell show for me. Where on one hand, our uh, delivered our, our food delivery, uh, the food in our delivery business wasn't good. So everyone was comparing it to the home dining experience. And it was nowhere close to being the amazing food my mother was making. And number two... Um, I did not pay enough attention to the things I did not enjoy. So I did not enjoy accounting. I did not enjoy operations. So I stayed away from those things. And I just kept on hoping that they'll figure themselves out. And I did the minimum I had to. And it led to a situation where in the end of 2016, one year into this delivery business, I have a meeting with my CA. And he tells me, Munaf, your outstanding tax liability is equal to the money you have in the savings account. So I recommend that you pay it before it exceeds that amount and i was like what do you mean so he's like yeah there's something called vat so even though it sounded like vat at that time but he said vat uh, uh there's something called a value added tax which you haven't been paying and and i had no idea because i couldn't care less uh and i had to pay it uh and i was bankrupt for the very first time in my very early life um and i was like okay now it's time to quit okay take vikas's advice uh one year later you can get a job again and and Five years later, none of this will matter. And I was literally on the verge of applying for a job when I get a call from the guys at Forbes. And they're like, Munaf, congratulations. You're doing so well. We are putting you on the cover of Forbes magazine. And uh, I literally told those guys that... I I did something really stupid. I told them that, why are you putting me on the cover? My business is about to shut down. Um, And they said, what I like to call as the second philosophy which has now, you know, which feeds me and will feed me for the next few years of my life. Uh, They said... That, Munaf, we are not acknowledging you because you are the founder of a million-dollar unicorn startup. We are acknowledging you because of the social capital that that you've created. And we believe that if you keep on doing what you're doing, sooner or later, at some point in your life, you do something disruptive. Uh, And we want to call dibs on that. So, along with the co-founders of Swiggy, along with Masaba, along with an Olympic athlete, a Bollywood actor, there was a samosa salesman on the cover of Forbes in March 2017. And uh, the embarrassment of coming, coming on the cover of that magazine was the reason I kept the Bori Kitchen going in 2017. Uh, And uh, I was like, hey, if I'm going to keep it going, let me try a different approach. So I learned how to make my mom's biryani, you know, I said, I said, let's do, yeah. I said, let's do the things I would never do. So I learned how to make my mom's biryani. And I did this blind tasting, where I told everyone it's mom's biryani and they loved it. And I had made the chicken dum biryani. Uh, I, I I learned, I did a crash course. I did a two-month crash course in accounts. Uh, and suddenly, my PL started making sense. And by the mid of 2017, uh, lo and behold, we are profitable. And we're getting a decent 4 out of 5 on our food. So things were falling into place. And around that time, Bollywood also adopted us. So the press coverage went crazy. Forbes. So again, the press coverage went crazy. And I said that, hey, now it's time to take you to the next step. Okay, now mm-hmm. I'm ready to go through the entire fundraising journey and see where I can take TBK. Uh, I'm done with, you know, just playing along the, uh, uh, just doing things one step at a time. And and that's when I started talking to a few people. I spoke to Apoor from Venture Catalyst, who, who I had already known for a year. I spoke to some acquaintances in the industry, like Riyaz, Rahul Akhirkar, Rommel, etc. And everyone was open to the idea of actually funding it. So I said, why not? And Mihir Mehta played a very important role. Because I had no idea how any of this worked. So Mihir, who's an ex-googler, uh, and then eventually is now a co-director at the Bodhi Kitchen, he came on board and he helped me and he guided me through that entire process.
0: Wow, and what a journey it was, right? You've been top ten on TripAdvisor, achieved recognition as the best body food restaurant by Times Food Guide, Forbes thirty and thirty, top fifty food influencers in the country. You were part of the NRAI for a for a bit as well. Uh, and you know. Everything seemed to be going well for the Bori Kitchen, but 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 was it actually going the way you wanted? Now maybe this is your time to tell us how what was going on.
1: So, um, so I was so so basically, I was going through this journey where I had a brand. So actually, Ranveer Brar put it really well, and it's, it's 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 a chapter in the book called "When Ranveer Brar Compared the Bori Kitchen to a Bicycle." Uh, so he compared us to a bicycle. And he said that Munaf, you have two pedals, all right. Pedal one is your branding, PR, storytelling pedal, okay, which is on overdrive. It's on a gear which doesn't exist. Uh, and then the second pedal is your operations pedal, okay. It's your production pedal. It's your distribution pedal. That's barely on gear two right now. So, uh, and what happens to a bicycle when both pedals? Like there's no such thing as a bicycle, you know, which has two pedals, which are moving at a different pace because the bicycle won't move. So that's kind of what was happening with the Bori Kitchen. That how much of a press coverage I was getting, it wasn't taking me anywhere that I really wanted it to take me. Uh, It was definitely not taking me anywhere, which justified quitting Google for. So I really pushed myself to think that, hey, how do you scale up something like this? And I came up with a reasonable hypothesis, which is... um, Hey, look, I can only have so many people coming to my house True. and I definitely don't have the risk appetite and neither do I believe in the business model of a restaurant. Uh, this delivery thing makes sense to me. Okay, it's sort of like uberizing food. The dark kitchen concept, you know, low on assets, low on overheads uh, and, and you're building a virtual brand and a virtual story which I which the Bori kitchen by definition was. So I said, hey, let's capitalize on that. Let's Let's take this food and whatever we can in the experience of it at scale to people so while we cater to let's say 1% of our customer base through home dining let's cater to the balance 99% through delivery and even in delivery the idea wasn't just to sell biryani uh, it was to take the thal make it into its compact form called the thal in a box and basically mm-hmm. do a meal box concept which people so they would be able to come on my website and choose the kharas the savory item the yeah. mithas the sweet dish the jaman, the main cause, the condiments. It'd be a gamified experience for 250, 350 rupees. And boom. Uh, that was the vision for my <laughs> delivery business. Um, now, I knew nothing about delivery. I knew nothing about how hard it is to run a dark kitchen, the unit economics behind it, the supply chain, XYZ. So 2017, while I learned how to set up one little delivery kitchen and take it to 8 lakhs a month and profitable. Um, 2018, when I raised funds, it was raised on the uh, backdrop of, hey, I'm going to scale this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go from 8 lakhs to at least 50 lakhs a month. Uh, uh, and 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 uh, I built my entire plan on what I knew over the course of 2017. By But by the end of 2018, I had to completely relearn how one scales up a dark kitchen business. For starters, you can't make food fresh. Yep. It was a huge learning experience for me that you can't possibly run a fresh food kitchen at scale in an on-demand business where you're trying to squeeze out five to 10% margins per order. It's, it's impossible. So, uh, that itself was like an insane learning experience where I, I started basically, uh, uh, interviewing, I don't know if it's ethical, but I interviewed chefs from Domino's, from, from, uh, Rebel, from, Uh, various other you know food delivery businesses that were doing really well (laughs) i would interview them and in the process of the interview i'd learned that hey how are you guys actually doing this and i very quickly learned how it worked okay that there are three different models okay the one which made sense for me was sort of a hub and spoke model okay there are different kind of uh, food technologies that you can use you can go retort you can go frozen or you can go you know xyz and then identify the vendors. Who supplied to the biggest uh, food businesses out there? And I shamelessly went to them, and I said, "Look, I run the body kitchen. I do eight lakhs a month, but I'm on the cover of Forbes. Do you want to be part of the story?" And they all said yes, and they all said, "Okay, Munna, for a year, year and a half, we'll support you. Let's see where this goes." Um, and 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 literally in those six to nine months, it, it must have been one of the most difficult periods in my life for me, because I'm learning something which did not come naturally to me, operations. Uh, but I did. I learned it. Uh, with the help of everyone around me. And uh, I literally did a mini PhD in how to set up a dark kitchen at scale. And while learning, I set it up. Uh, uh, which is also one of the reasons why we burnt our hands quite mm-hmm. a bit. Like for example, a lot of people ask me, Munaf, is there one regret you have? You know, one thing you would change if you could go back in time. I would change nothing but one thing, which is I wish I had spent more on my first kitchen. Okay, that was the in what biggest point? mistake I made. So uh, when I raised funds, uh, I I, I was a first time, you know, uh, founder who raised money for the very first time in his life. Um, And the way I've been raised, I can't spend money. I'm frugal. Mm. You know, so so even though this was investor money, it was angel, you know, seed funding with a very clear objective of spending it fast and, you know, scaling your business. Uh, For me, it was like my father's money. And hmm. uh, uh, the minute I got it, I was like, hey, should I be putting it in a fixed deposit? That was like the first thought in my head. Uh, so, so when I started setting up the first kitchen, I was doing stupid things like trying to find secondhand equipment. Uh, uh, when I should have gone for a kitchen that cost me a lakh a month, I was settling for a kitchen which cost me 50,000 rupees a month. You know, And all of that led to a very weak foundation for my uh, delivery business. And that massively slowed down our, our entire growth path. So those six months were brought down to two months. And in those two months, if i had set up a 1 lakh rupee a month kitchen, it would have had a significant ramification on everything that happened after that in terms mm-hmm. of the way the business was built. Um, so that's the one thing I would change if I had to change anything. And that might have led to a situation where uh, around the time we went broke again uh, in, in 2020, uh, I might have been profitable uh, if I had sorted out some of those foundational
0: things so five years later I remember the I remember the email in 2020 and I know it must have been a very difficult one for you to write you 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 know and and you know would love to understand what 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 happened and and then there was a renaissance i th- I think that's a very important i, I we talked about this pre episode that I think this is going to be the most important takeaway which is you know, the, the hard stop, the renaissance and what's happening and what you've learned from that. Maybe you could just take us through that uh, and then we'll talk about a little bit about your book as well. So, uh,
1: uh, around March 2022, very big things happened in my life. Alright, first of all, the pandemic hit us, the lockdown hit us and it was a body blow for me and the business. Uh, uh, and uh, why was it a body blow? Because in the first two months, there was a lot of uncertainty around COVID, around even food delivery, does, does the virus spread with packaging, you know, stuff like that. Uh, In fact, there were these horror stories where a couple of kitchens, they detected COVID in one of the boys and they had to make a public announcement. So whoever got that food, you know, would get tested. It was, it was that crazy at that point in time. And worse than that, I was just really scared for my boys, for my staff, for my team. So I said that no, you know, just go home because at at that time there was that migrants, exodus happening. Uh, So I was like, please go home, stay with your family, stay safe. Uh, What I did not anticipate is that lockdown would last for more than two weeks. Okay, forget two weeks. It's it's technically a year now that we are in the same situation. Uh, uh, And this was at a time when from a PNL or a balance sheet point of view, I have started setting up my sixth outlet. So I was in Mm -hmm. hyper expansion mode. Uh, I had completed my uh, fourth and fifth outlet. They were two months old. They were bleeding money. Obviously they would break even after six months. And I was setting up my sixth outlet already in chamber. Uh, And I was confident that, Hey, I'm going to raise a second round of funding. Worst case scenario, I'll raise a bridge round, but I'll keep it going. And even the second round of funding though, the people who said no to us did not say no. They just said that take it to 50 lakhs a Mm -hmm. month. We were at that 35 lakhs in though. December. You know, so it was very like well within reach. Uh, take it to 50 lakhs and we'll figure it out. And and for me, the compromise wasn't not taking the money. It was that I, I couldn't take 5 crores at the valuation I wanted at that stage. I had to take 1 crore as a bridge at a valuation, which I wasn't happy with. Uh, that mm-hmm. was the compromise. It was never about, hey, I wouldn't get money and I would have to shut the business down. But when that happened when the bridge did not come in uh uh the pandemic hit me and i was bleeding because i had three outlets at two new outlets and one outlet under construction uh uh i just couldn't handle it and and at the same time i sent my boys home so for two months i was out, i my business was off uh and i was paying rent i was paying everything and and i just couldn't do it i was i was running on fumes and i said okay now i give up you know man i had so in in the book I write about panic attacks. I had one of the worst like moments in my life in terms of stress. Uh, uh, the good thing, so I said two important things happened, right? One was this. Second is I got married. Yeah. Right. So so March fifteenth, uh, 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 March twentieth. Okay. So March twentieth the lockdown hit us. March fifteenth I got married, um, and um, and and that saved me literally. So. Zabia, uh, Kadir, who's, who's the one running our kitchen and literally is the single guy running the entire business today. Uh, they came and they told me after one, two months of me recovering that, um, Munaf, maybe this is an opportunity, all right? Uh, that uh, now you don't have funds. So you can't even like tell your investors, you know, that like, what, what are you going to do about it? You can't scale the business anymore. You can't chase valuation anymore. Uh, You can't tell yourself that you can chase valuations and the next round of funding anymore. So just go back to your roots. Okay, do what you always enjoy doing. Uh, Run a a smaller business but something that's more authentic to what TBK is. And it's taken us a lot of time to get here. So it's only been three months since we've been back alive. And that too, I did it under the radar because I was just really scared of jinxing it. Um, And uh, uh, and What is the renaissance? I mean, what
0: is this... uh, Redux that you're talking about.
1: So what we did is uh, the delivery business in its original after was an on-demand delivery business built out of dark kitchens. Where you could order within uh, within 45 minutes you would get your food depending on where you were in the city. And you could order on Zomato and Swiggy. And you could order worth 250 rupees worth of a box of biryani. Uh, so my average order value used to be 400 rupees. At, at our peak in December we were doing 200 orders per day. Um, and my margins were like five percent, seven percent on an order. Today, uh, after three months of just uh, launching our pilot, uh, we've gone back to our original dark kitchen, our small little kitchen that we have, and uh, we are not taking any on-demand orders anymore. We have one primitive very phone number, phone number that we call the samosa helpline. You can WhatsApp that number or call that number. My super charismatic. A uh, phone receiver uh, called Trevor will answer the phone and he will take your order and we have a minimum order value depending on where you are. We deliver the food ourselves. Um, we have a massive menu. So in the previous delivery business, I had a limited menu because everything was constrained by supply chain, shelf life, you know, uh, storage. Now we make it patiently. You give us a day's notice at least. In fact, in the last two days, we needed two to three days notice because we are backed up on orders. So the team actually gets to express its creativity. Kadir for the first time gets to enjoy himself. Because he's like, cool, I will make this for you. You know, he gets to yeah. say that to a customer. The only rule is we will not make Chinese food. We will only make bori food. That's the only condition. Yeah. And uh, it's immediately led to results. Like we are profitable. 15-18% margins per, per, you know, uh, sale. Um, uh, and, and, and what's worked for us, I think, really well is this hits our target audience where it exists, where it actually exists. So we in talked the about previous this delivery business, yeah, hmm. in the previous delivery model, I was creating a target audience that we never had.
0: You yeah. know,
1: out here, I'm just going back to the guys who already knew about us and cared about us. So as long as, and, and that's the only condition I've given Kadir, I'm like, don't chase sales. Just make sure your rating is 4.5 plus and track frequency and track retention. Track how many times is the guy ordering again within a month, and how many times does he come back to you in the next month? If you're getting these metrics right, why why do
0: you use those two metrics as the two metrics, as the two KRAs to track?
1: So I'm basically asking him to track stickiness, right? So how do you track Mm -hmm. stickiness? How do you track uh, customer feedback? One is you ask the customer for feedback. That's the easiest thing to do, and and that KRA or KPI is 4.5 out of five. Okay, currently we're trending at 4.5, which I think is phenomenal. The second way to track stickiness is does the guy actually come back and order? Now, does he come back and order within the month or does he come back and order in the next month or does he not come back and order? So in this case, I am still figuring out are we the kind of brand where a customer comes back within the same month or does he come back the next month? As long as we are either of the two. You know, as long as our retention is 40%, which means 40% of the customers who ordered in the previous month are coming back.
0: Product market, uh, and,
1: uh, yeah, which is great. And as yep. long as we are like a 1.2, even which means the guy ordered once in the month, he or- and 20 percent ordered again in the same month, these are great, um, yep. metrics. And as long as you're doing this, that means you're doing it right, and customers will keep on coming back to you. And uh, and right now, the only goal I have is this and being profitable. We'll do this for six months, we will have enough profits to move into a better kitchen. That's how we're taking it
0: the next the next part of the show it's, it's going to be a quick 10 questions i'm going to ask you uh and it's it's called the rapid fire round whatever first comes to mind just go ahead and say it blurt it out and uh, and meanwhile if there's any questions i know we've not had any time for audience questions today but if there's anybody who wants to ask any questions we'll be happy to take them at the end if you have a couple of minutes so munaf are you ready yep. and the the Kapadia. patel uh, <laughs> first question and this is a very interesting question because you're in the business Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates and Donald Trump are coming for the Body Kitchen dinner. What is the plan?
1: Um, I, I'm not sure if I can say this, but the first thing that came in my head is to poison Donald Trump. Uh, so We've had that reaction
0: but... from every single person. One thing that you know to be true, but very few people agree with you on this.
1: So so a lot of people uh, have told me that the Bodhi Kitchen is not scalable. Okay, at least outside Bombay, uh, on account of it being the bori kitchen. So they feel it's too niche, uh, naturally, because of its cuisine. Uh, whereas I am of the opinion that because of its nicheness, it has an opportunity to scale. Uh, and, and, and and that conversation usually keeps... Uh, it, it finds its way in some form or other with the different people that I speak.
0: So it's a, it's a very, very interesting and important conversation to uh, and so, like I was just saying about while, while, we, while uh, we got you back on, is that some, some businesses aren't built to be, uh, you know, aren't built to be scalable in the sense that people need to use it every ever, ever so often, right? Like we had we had Khan Sharma on the show uh, for New Year and, you know, his business is in interior fit-outs. People are going to do interior fit-outs once in 10 years, right? But, but to him, you know, the way he tracks uh, how well his business is doing with customers is to figure out how many people are actually referring to me or how often am I getting recalled when people talk about interior fit outs? Very interesting conversation there. Next question. Uh, let's see. What is the first name that comes to your mind when you hear the words successful entrepreneur? Which one? (laughs) There we go. Uh, and and why? why 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 do you call him the successful entrepreneur?
1: So, um, because he's clearly made an impact. All right. So so it's not about whether I'm a fan or not a fan or anything on those lines. It's it's purely that uh, he's clearly an entrepreneur in the sense that he's created something of value, and he's built a business, uh, and he's he's uh, managed to hire. And impact a lot of lives, and he's created a product or a series of products and services, which touch a lot of people. So he's he is the epitome of of what an entrepreneur would be, uh, in in that sense.
0: And two racks to a two rags to riches story. Right? Yeah. I mean, if I came from nothing. So, yeah.
1: So so in, in this case, if you measure success by money, I would say Dhirubhai Amman. Yeah.
0: Okay. When do you get your best work done?
1: Morning or night? morning early morning. morning early morning
0: okay and uh, who's your favorite superhero spider-man why Oh, that's a that's a new one by the way Iron man has been the has been like the clear favorite but uh, no, no, why huge Spider-Man? huge
1: spider-man fan in fact I'm playing the game on the playstation right now um I I, I don't know why I, I think it's it's because it's an underdog story All right. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's about this it's a young college kid who Uh, has a significant so in fact i've used the spider-man story in the book um where i've said that um, so i've used it in the branding chapter to drive a point home that sometimes when you want to create an impactful story uh so even though see spider-man's a story about a radioactive spider that bites a human being and the human being gets powers now you would think that's a powerful story right it's enough yeah. But what really makes the story powerful is what happens to his uncle. And and, and his uncle dies, trying to save somebody. I, I think it was a bank robbery or something, yeah. I don't recall. And then he goes to his uncle and his uncle leaves him some last words that with great power comes great responsibility. That relatability of that situation, like, I mean, imagine, radioactive spider makes a human being super powerful is not relatable. But the uncle aspect is super relatable. People bond, they think. So, I I literally use that as an analogy for the Bori Kitchen, where ultimately I was selling samosas and biryani, but what made it relatable were my parents and the home dining experience and and the sort of very personal life that I exposed to everyone. Uh, That's not the reason why I like Spider-Man, but I just, I I thought I would share that.
0: (laughs) And you're always a great storyteller. I think, you know, I think that's one of the key factors behind why TBK is as popular as it is. Uh, let's see one piece of advice to founders about fundraising. Uh,
1: raise a million. Raise a million.
0: I, that's, that's a really good one. Raise a million. You said in, and, or rather raise enough for two years, depending upon your business model. Right. Good, good one. Um, one thing you would like to change about the Indian startup ecosystem. Um,
1: You've been it for six years. Uh, I just wish it was more transparent. In what way? In the, in the sense that, like, see, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it's like abroad. Okay, I'm just, grass is greener, maybe. I'm not sure. But I would like to think it's a little more professional abroad. Uh, out here, a lot of the stuff that happened for us, you no, know, happened very... It took me by surprise. Like Like, for example, one of our investors backed out after six months. You know, mm-hmm. this is after, I, I realized he hadn't signed the papers. I just assumed he had. It's 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 all very, it's almost like, you know, uh, while I am this uh, fancy guy who's raised funds and built a private limited company and so on and so forth. But ultimately, half of what I was doing is what my father d- does with his business as a wholesaler, you know, selling mm-hmm. plastic goods and, and the struggle he has to go to. So, so that, that kind of never made sense to me. And. Uh, Today, I actually, when I talk to other founders or entrepreneurs, I tell them try your best to do it with a co-founder, so one of you can focus on fundraising, because it needs, unfortunately, that kind of effort and energy.
0: And more so in in India, I mean, without without talking about the ecosystem, Munaf, I would say that uh, it's because it's so difficult. You know, India doesn't have the safe. It doesn't. I mean, I I know Sanjay is working very hard on this uh, at 100x, but. It, it's still not a very clear uh, document right? of how to raise a round without having to do all the hassles that we currently have to do as a VC to be able to get shares in our name. right? And, and you're absolutely right. It, it, the process is so long and it's so complicated. right? Despite the government doing everything it can to make it simple, it, it probably need at least one guy working on it for six months, nonstop to make it go through, which is a lot of effort. So I completely agree with you on this one. We have like to find a way so to make long. it easier.
1: So, so with me here you know I, I we had this discussion sometime back I was like I mean it's ultimately money which is being put behind a certain set of variables so there has to be a science to it why is there so much yeah. human involvement like you should either give a yes or a no uh, yeah. to uh, an entrepreneur basis his numbers and basis is industry and basis what he brings on the table and obviously there's a subjective component but there should be a number attached to that as well mm. uh, why is this so dynamic? I, I haven't, I, so I haven't understood that till date.
0: Two things that you would like to that you would put on your bucket list. What are the two things that are on your bucket list? My bad, I read that, I read that wrong.
1: Uh, I mean, it, it's really weird, okay, and, and, and it's embarrassing, but like this wasn't on my bucket list until COVID happened. But now, okay. uh, it's just like a lot of my travel plans are on my bucket list. Uh, because I don't remember what it's like to travel. like Zabe and I was just literally depressed uh, because of uh, the plans we had to see the world. Because imagine, right, Aria finally let go of my five-year uh, entrepreneurial venture. And unfortunately, she was part of it for two years. So for yeah. those first two years of her life, when we got to know each other, I, I was an entrepreneur who just worked my ass off uh, uh, without a holiday in, in a week because I used to work seven days a week uh, and finally that's possible and now Covid's happened so I mean it's not on my bucket list obviously but I would say that it's 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 one of the things I'm really looking forward to something on my bucket list for sure is um, so very long back I'd done a cycling expedition okay okay where i cycled up the Jalori Pass i cycled up to the Jalori Pass so it's basically it's, it's a couple of thousand feet uh, above sea level. Yeah, it's, I think it's 10,000 feet above sea level or something like that. And it's on the base of the Himalayas. And on a whim, a friend of mine, a Googler friend from Hyderabad, he just took me there, of Shinde, uh, who's also in the book. Uh, and, uh, and, and the reason I went there is I did not know how to cycle. So I have okay. this weird fantasy in my head that I've learned how to cycle in one of the most toughest situations you know, possible. And I did, and I made a fool of myself, and I was the last guy who always made it to camp after every day worth of cycling. But uh, I want to go back there uh, to just remind myself that I was that guy, uh, and and I think it'll be really good for me. So that's one my very interesting,
0: list. very interesting, and we and I really hope that you do that do that as so, you know very soon after this whole lockdown situation is is over. Last three questions. Uh, let's see uh one piece of advice you would give your 18 year old self
1: <laughs> don't be afraid of failure at all like right? not even slightly
0: i mean and that's hey, on honestly
1: AD, it depends on how much financial security i leave him because i don't plan him, i don't plan on leaving him any financial security uh <laughs> but but if i do if i do i would tell him don't be afraid of failure uh let's see the the
0: worst piece of advice you have ever received? You're not playing the person. So
1: you can... No. Um, okay. So so one of the worst pieces of advice I've ever received is, is that, Munaf, you should go and do things that make you uncomfortable. All right? Okay. I, I disagree with that. Uh, in the sense that... Uh, like, I'll give you an example, okay? I spent three months of my entrepreneurial life trying to convince a BMC officer to give me a license.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Kadir went to the guy and in one day he got it done. So, so there's some things which you're good for and then there's some things which right. you are all right? You're, it's very important in life, especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur or anything you do really in life, that you focus on what you're good at. Yes, yeah. there is something called learning and, and you learn, you know, things which you're not good at and so on and so forth. But understand the opportunity cost of that, right? If, if at that point in time in your life, there is a lot more you need to do, which you're actually good at. Outsource everything else. Makes sense. So, That's and um, a very, very,
0: very good advice, actually, I would say, because uh, you you have to operate in your areas of excellence, right? Then trying to operate in, in areas that you're, you're not... Uh, uh, that are outside your scope. Again, you learn, but but you know you can't bet your business on your learning, right? So that's a very very good one. And spend,
1: spend 15 days figuring it out. But if you're still not able yeah. to do it, please quickly tell somebody else to do it.
0: Yeah, or maybe 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 get get the other person to do it. You learn from it. Maybe next time you try it out, right? Before <laughs> so.
1: I'm I'm never going yeah. to be an MP officer and getting a license.
0: <laughs> so thank you so much, Muraf. Any last uh, thoughts you would like to leave the audience with?
1: Yeah, like, so so one thing, which is, I really, like, I've been trying to propagate this, uh, that entrepreneurship doesn't have to mean you've started your own business. It can be, it's, it's, I think, it's more a state of mind. So as long as you are exhibiting the qualities of an entrepreneur, which means you're trying to, uh, you're going over and above what you're supposed to do. You know, you are incredibly persistent or perseverant. You are thinking outside the box. You are giving it everything and anything, and and you're not limiting yourself by any sort of you know preconceived notions. You're being an entrepreneur. So you could be a college student, you could be working at McDonald's or just any other job, or you could have started your own business. But you're still being an entrepreneur, and 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 you benefit from everything it means to be an entrepreneur by doing that. So don't uh, don't 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 think that. Uh, the sexy life of an entrepreneur is something that you can only get, uh, by giving up everything and starting a an venture.
0: Great piece of advice. I think you can become, there are many ways to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't really always have to be with the tag of founder to go with it. So thank you so much, Munaf. I mean, really enjoyed the conversation and, you know, uh, looking forward, maybe in six, you know, in the next six to eight months with, uh, the gory kitchen reviving that we'll have another chance to have you on board and discuss the progress thank you so much absolutely
1: i hope so everybody thank you
0: so much great great session and we'll see you all again next week have a good night cheers good night cheers bye